Our gospel reading is from St. John, the third chapter, verses 1 through 17, found on page 1,649. Glory to you, O God. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with you. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. So wonderful to be with you uh, once again. And welcome you here on this Holy Trinity Sunday. Uh, my sermon this morning will come from the, our Old Testament lesson of Isaiah chapter 6. And uh, just as a side note, uh, we sang it in our opening hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. And uh, the wise men that uh, choose the lectionary texts for our, our readings uh, chose Isaiah for Holy Trinity Sunday because we sing holy, holy, holy. You think by coincidence Isaiah, the cherubim, seraphim uh, said holy, holy, holy three times? Right? Uh, so, may your hearts be enlightened. May you know the height and the breadth and the width and the depth of the love of God that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. 
You all recall in 1977, George Lucas's Star Wars. Now, for us, it was the first episode, but I guess after a while, it, we came to know it was episode four, because they came out with episode one, two, and three later on, way after episode four. And in George Lucas's film, uh, Star Wars, there was one scene as a young boy, I was probably about 12 at the time, and it's that trash compactor scene where Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia and Han Solo are get, trying to get away from the stormtroopers and they, they jump down into the muck of this trash compactor. And not only that, there's this like serpent-like creature that's sliming around and the water's real brackish and you can't really see it. And all of a sudden, the walls begin to move in. And out of their own strength, they grab everything they can, poles and whatever debris, to try and stop these walls from moving in. And it took somebody from the outside to stop it. It took R2-D2 to go into the computers of the starship and finally stop the rebel force from being crushed. And in the 8th century BC, during the king reign of King Uzziah, Israel was also experiencing their own trash compactor. You see, from the north, they had the threat of the Assyrians. And from the east, they had the threat of the Babylonians. And the Assyrians were like the ancient world blitzkrieg. They were demolishing everybody and anybody who was in their path. And the Babylonians, too, were eating up vast majorities of territory. And Israel, instead of listening to the words of God and stop worshiping false idols and false gods, they took matters into their own hands. And they devised two plans of attack. Either A, we make an alliance with the Assyrians, or B, we make an alliance with Egypt. And of course, we all know how it ends. In 732 BC, the Assyrians captured the two northern tribes, the 10 northern tribes of Israel, and those men, women, and children that they didn't kill, they put fish hooks in their nose and hauled them off to, to Assyria. And of course, in 586 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians would come and conquer the two southern tribes. 
And so this brings us the context of Isaiah's book before he has this vision. So in the middle of this <clears throat> all going on, the threat of the Assyrians and the Babylonians, he has a vision. And this vision was a foretaste, a, a, a foreshadowing of what was to come. And what he saw was the Lord. And the Lord was so enormous that only the trail of his robe filled the temple. That's the only thing that the temple could hold was just, just the trail of the Lord's robe. And there were seraphim. And they were flying and with covering their eyes and their feet and in awe of the majesty of God, they chanted, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with your glory. And next, the foundations of the temple shook as it began filling up with smoke. And nonetheless, we see this as a shadow of what was to come. John, in his book, the book of Revelation, shows us this heavenly scene where he writes, and the four living creatures, each one of them, having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever. And even as I read these words this morning, these heavenly creatures are in heaven continually chanting those words right now as I speak. And as Isaiah witnesses these things, he probably fell down to his knees, trembling. And he responded, Woe is me. For I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So in this moment in time, the threat of the Babylonians and the Assyrians fade away. Isaiah perceived himself before the Lord, experienced the fact that he is mortal where God is immortal. For God is light and in him there is no darkness. And if we recall in the gospel, not this morning's reading, but in the gospel, Peter experienced the same thing that Isaiah did. Now Peter, being a professional <clears throat> fisherman, had been fishing all night, hadn't caught a thing. And Jesus says, hey Peter, throw the nets on the other side of the boat. 
And I'm sure Peter was, you know, you're a carpenter, just keep to the carpenter things. I'm a professional, you know, fisherman, you know. But he probably thought, eh, I'll, I'll appease Jesus and throw the nets over anyway, right? And before he knew it, the nets were so full that he had to ask another boat to come over and help him lift all the fish into the boat. And it even says that the boats began to sink. And when Peter saw this, this is how he responded. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. This is the same response that Isaiah had. Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. And we, too, are undone when we see the holiness of God and our own mortality before him. And as the Star Wars crew were in the trash compactor, things were out of control. And how often does life for us feel like that trash compactor is moving in on us. Whether it be a lack of finances, whether it be a lack of a job, whether it be friction between relationships and spouses. Maybe our kids and our grandkids are wandering off the path and we're worried about that. Maybe, maybe it's our own sin that we feel condemned. We feel like, God, we can't belong to God anymore. Maybe it's that sin that we're so ashamed of that we don't even want to confess it to our pastor that nobody knows about. that pressures of life, right? Too much work, not enough sleep, all those things, those pressures that keep us from him, from God. That trash compactor just feels that we just can't do it anymore. And who can stand before a holy, righteous God? Isaiah couldn't. John couldn't. And neither can we. But the good news is, is that God doesn't leave us in the trash compactor. 
God doesn't leave us there. And neither did he leave Isaiah. Our text this morning records, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. And as the coal touched Isaiah's lips, his sins were atoned for, and his vision is a foreshadowing of what was to come for us here at Calvary on the cross. And just as Luke and Leah and the rest were in the trash compactor, it took somebody from the outside. R2-D2 had to save them before time was running out. And in our compactor of life, it also takes somebody from the outside. It takes a holy trinity to do so. A holy trinity to stop the walls of God's holy law and sin and death from crushing us. And just like Han Solo slayed the beast in the trash compactor, Christ has slain the Leviathan by going to the cross and having victory over sin, death, and the devil. And although the walls stopped encroaching in on our Star Wars cast, we still are in the muck, aren't we? We still experience sin. We still experience the health issues and, and the turmoil that we experience in war and all those things. God doesn't promise to take us out of his suffering. However, the walls will never crush us because Christ has become our coal. By atoning for our sins, by the shedding of innocent blood on the cross at Calvary, the Lord has done away with your sin as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered any longer. It took a holy trinity to plan your salvation. God the Father came up with the plan. Christ said he would implement the plan. And the Holy Spirit said, I will bring God's plan to fruition. God's plan of salvation, <clears throat> excuse me, God's plan of salvation was to give us his only begotten son who was delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Christ carried out this plan 
As Peter announced to his listeners, Jesus, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. And Peter continued, Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this, which you both see and hear. Jesus said he must ascend to the Father so that he may send the Holy Comforter. And he has sent his Holy Comforter into our hearts as a pledge of the first fruits of the glory that awaits us. <clears throat> Even though Nicodemus didn't have a clue about these things. He inquired about them with Jesus. And at least he knew who had the answers and where to go. Jesus told Nicodemus that the spirit is like the wind. And the wind goes wherever it pleases. And God is pleased to make you a son and daughter of his. For the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. When did this happen, you might ask? Right here in front of you. Right here, God breathed in his spirit into you. Your sins are here still at the bottom of the font, washed and cleansed, and you have been risen anew and made a new creation in Christ. And just as the seraphim took the coal and placed it upon Isaiah's lips and said, your iniquity and your sin is forgiven. God, this morning, is going to place the coal of bread and wine here at the altar upon your lips and remind you that you are forgiven, that this is my body and blood shed for you for the remission of all of your sins. Whatever trash compactor moment, <clears throat> this God works all things for good for those who love him. And God's salvation is sure and true because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to die for you so that you may have eternal life. 
And at the end of our Old Testament reading this morning, God asks Isaiah a question. He says, Whom shall I send to spread the good news that there's hope in Christ? There's hope in his death, burial, and resurrection. And Isaiah said, send me. And as, Isaiah, as God sent out Isaiah, he also sends you, wherever you're at in your vocation, wherever you are at in life, to share the good news that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen.